interviews, stories, transformations. It's the story of positivity, a positivity-themed podcast highlighting the very best in people through open conversation, fun and laughter. Episode 4, the rousing and emotional story of the remarkable Marco Flynn. In a deep and transformative tale, we'll uncover Mark's journey from conquering cancer to quite literally conquering continents. We'll reveal how he travels the globe to make a difference to charity and how his experiences have proved the impossible is possible. In an extremely open piece of self-reflection, Mark chronicles scaling the Great Wall of China, cycling from Vietnam to Cambodia, and how he quite literally walked the plank in Costa Rica. We'll even talk about why he is still waiting for a call from Notts County Football Club and why he smiles at being a budding footballer. And finally, we will light the fires of his memory by talking through a day that changed his life, carrying the Olympic torch. This is not one to miss, so enjoy the pod. And here he comes. He's cycling through the departure lounge. Welcome, Marco Flynn. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Very well. Welcome to your story of positivity. Are you looking forward to this? Yeah, I am. It'll be good just to just to hear what you're going to ask me and see where it goes. Absolutely. And as always, I will start with a hand-picked quote that I've chosen for you, Mark. I do this every single episode. Uh, are you ready for this? Matt, I'm always ready because I never know what you're going to come up with. Here it comes. A true volunteer does not necessarily have the time. They have the heart. There you go. That's very, very, that's a very profound quote, Matt. Yeah. Um, interested about volunteering yeah, because... Uh, I've not been able to give as much time to it last year as I wanted to, purely because of COVID. Well, indeed. And we will discuss that at some length um, because your volunteering is, on a serious note, makes me really emotional, Mark, everything that you've done over the years for for other people. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm... Oh, say that again. I was going to say, that's an interesting reaction, Matt, to make you emotional about it, yeah. It's absolutely true. and, And I was actually thinking about that minutes before we started recording. So um, I know the listeners will be exceptionally keen to uncover this story uh, that is so emotional. And as always, Mark, on every episode, I talk about what I have identified as the four traits of positive people. And they are adaptability, energy, resilience, and optimism, which of course stands for aero. So a bit of irreverence before we start. What is your favourite aero bar? Now, is it mint or is it chocolate or is it orange aero? Because 
on the three previous podcasts, I didn't include an orange arrow. And as soon as I finished the last recording of the last podcast, I've seen an orange arrow in my local shop. So you, Mark, could be the first to choose from three options, mint, chocolate or orange. <laughs> I'm smiling because I didn't even know there was an orange arrow. And my answer. Well, there you, you go. Yeah. Well, my answer to you would have been if you'd have just given me the mint and the chocolate choice, I'd have said, well, whoever makes Aero, and I apologise to the manufacturer, I don't know who they are, um, ought <laughs> to come up with an orange one. So it's easy for me, orange Aero, without a doubt. Wow. Well, I feel like uh, there's a bit of a scoop on this podcast, um, you know, your discovery of an orange Aero. So, yes. I feel honoured. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to have to hunt one down. I'm going to have to hunt an orange arrow down, yes. Absolutely. Well, that's your, your task after this pod. And my task uh, over the next 45 or so minutes is to uncover your totally inspirational story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to explain a little bit first of the context of how we met, please. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so how did we meet? Matt, I remember... I remember, whether you can remember this, I can remember the first time we met was when I was called in by somebody to talk to all of you new trainers when um, when uh, Lloyd's was introducing its new um, computer system into Lloyd's branches for mortgages. And I came in to have yes. a chat. That's when I remember meeting you for the first time. And I remember you asking me a question about what I enjoyed about training so much. And if I'm right, and it's a long time ago now, I think I said something about the fact that it's such an enjoyable job and we get the chance to influence so many people. I remember that very well. And uh, you were introduced to me as the, uh, the granddaddy of training. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I do, yeah, sorry that. I do remember that, you young whippersnapper, you, yes. What I'd like to do is start your story by talking about resilience. Now, I knew you 2010 and we became good friends uh, very, very quickly. And, you know, your honesty became really clear to me straight away because we talked about, you know, your life and, and you know, we had lots of chats around, you know, going out for meals, etc. when we were training together. And one thing became very, very clear that you'd, suffered uh, from prostate cancer um, when you were in your early 40s, so around about 2003 to 2004. So just tell the listeners about how that period was soon to really shape the rest of your life after you got thankfully cleared of prostate cancer. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really interesting how it shaped the rest of my life. Um, I think I need to go back really to getting the... Um, the actual diagnosis I just wasn't expecting it at all so it was one hell of a shock um, and I think the hardest thing about that was not necessarily being told myself it was actually mm -hmm. having to tell the kids and having to tell my mum and dad at the time you know that was that, that was that was really difficult um, and then after after having the operation to remove my prostate Mm -hmm. At a very young age of 42, I was a statistical anomaly, which um, was very interesting at age 42 to be a statistical anomaly, to have your prostate removed. Um, uh -huh. I got the shock that I had to have then have radiotherapy because they hadn't got all the cancer out. So 
once I'd had the prostate out, I thought everything was okay. And then I had this shock to find out that they hadn't got all the cancer out. And I got to have seven weeks of radiotherapy. So that was a bit of a shock. However, how, mm-hmm. how my volunteering and fundraising came about was from, um, was while I was lying in my hospital bed, recovering from my initial operation, um, I sort of morally blackmailed my brother's um, my brother-in-law, my oldest school friend, um, <laughs> set them a set them a sort of a set me a target to get fit, and blackmail them into that sounds an awful word. Blackmail them into helping me get fit was I set a target of walking up Snowdon a year after after my operation. So I, it was an it was an incentive to get fit, and it was an incentive to raise some money for the prostate cancer charity. And I think that's where it started. Ah, okay. It's funny, I'm smiling to myself now because I genuinely always look at you as um, an absolute model of integrity. And there, there you're using the word blackmail. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was for a good reason. And it was moral blackmail. I know. And, and, exactly. And we all had a great time. We had a great time walking up and down Snowdon. Absolutely great. And we raised, my, my memory's a bit fuzzy on this, but I'm sure we raised over £4,000 between us all. That figure sticks in my mind. I think it might have been high, but that figure sticks in my mind. So the moral blackmail was, I hate to say this, but the ends justified the means in that context. Okay. And, and it is fascinating you mentioning Snowden as the precursor to all of the other activities that are to follow. And we're going to chronicle them on this podcast. Now, it's, it's so interesting that, Snowden is an amazing achievement. Uh, everywhere you've been since almost blows that Snowden experience away, doesn't it? You know what? I reflect on that sometimes and think, how hard was that Snowden trip? And now, if my son rang up and said, yep. do you want to go to Snowden? I'd just go and do it. Whereas it took so much training for. But then again, I was coming from a uh, background of being very, very ill. Very ill. So it's perspective. Yeah. It is. And... As I say, the true perspective of what you've been through um, is just quite mind-blowing, really. And let's now chronicle how that story then panned out post-Snowden, really. Mm -hmm. So clearly the resilience that you showed was remarkable. It was a real shock uh, in terms of both the diagnosis and the treatment. And you alluded to it. You had a very young family at that time. So you carried on and you knew that you'd been cleared and you began to really make a difference to people's lives. Now, I'll talk through with you all of the incredible trips and the fundraising that was to follow over the last uh, 15 or so years. Before I do, just, just go through a little bit about your incredible energy because you were, I knew you from a financial services trainer point of view. Mm-hmm. But you were also, you were a budding footballer and you even had trials with Knox County, am I correct? Oh, Matt, you're making, <laughs> making me laugh with that, yeah. Budding footballer, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that makes it sound so far, so much better than it was. Yeah, I went... Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, thank you for the Thank you for that. Um, yeah, when I was much, much younger, a long, long time ago, I did, I had one game with... Um, um, the Knox County team. Um, I I remember remember it well. We played against West Brom, and I say the Knox County team. I think this was 
probably would be called the development squad now. I don't know what it was called then. And it's yeah. when Notts County yeah. were a, the old first division team. So, you know, that was that was amazing. Um, but the, but um, uh, to make you smile, I, I, I can't, I've, I've probably told you this story. They promised to have me back. They promised they'd have me back for another game because they were reasonably impressed. And they actually rang me to tell me that. So it wasn't just they told me after the game. They actually rang me to tell me they'd have me back. I'm still wait. I'm wow. still waiting for that call now. So I'm wondering whether I should follow it up. But um, well, they they need to get back to the football league. So they need to call you yeah, up. Probably. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah probably. If, if, yeah, they can do. Whether I'll be any good is another matter now. <laughs> um, well, the energy you've shown, I think you would uh, certainly do a very very good job. So <laughs> we, we we've. We've heard about, you know, that story when you were, as I say, a budding footballer. And the reason why I think that's quite an interesting part of your story is because your efforts in raising thousands and thousands of pounds for charity over the last 15 years, as I say, have also been complemented by your volunteer work in the women's football space. So just tell everybody, I think you... Qualified, if I'm correct, as being a football coach just a few years after you had your prostate cancer. So tell everybody about you becoming a football coach in the area of women's football, or particularly girls' football. In your Yeah, case. it was girls' football. Yeah, it was um, my daughter played football, um, and she's a far better footballer than I ever was. Um, and the team needed a coach. They needed somebody because the previous coach had left. And the team needed a coach, so I went and got my level one certificate in coaching, and uh-huh. uh, along with the, along with one of the other dads, and we co-managed the team and co-coached the team. Uh, can you say co-coached? Oh well, I have done anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, between us, so yeah, I did that for about four years, I think. Four years. And and as I say, that was a couple of years after. Uh, the experience with the prostate cancer and as you say you did it for four years and then it became a part of your wonderful nomination for what I always look back at as the most special day in your entire life if I can say that no, you better not say which was no, you, need, you better not say that in front of Alice and all my kids because of course I got married and I was about to say kids, Matt so yeah <laughs> Bar the weddings and births, um, the greatest day of your life. I was privileged to be there myself. So tell the listeners about this greatest day, the 3rd of July, 2012. Tell everybody what you were doing on that day, Mark, please. Well, well, (laughs) it's something we share in common. Um, Probably, probably the best 500 metres I've ever run in my life. Um, with the Olympic torch through Mountain Mowbray. What an absolutely fantastic and amazing experience that was. And seeing you was, again, very emotional. And here we are nearly 10 years on. I don't know if I've ever told you that I actually had a bit of a tear in my eye watching you. No, you didn't. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. I honestly did. It was, I just found it incredibly moving. And... The reason for your nomination, as I say, was dual fold, really. It was all of the coaching you had been doing for girls football 
and also the incredible work you had started to do as an ambassador, really, for prostate cancer. Would you say that when you got that nomination and were told that you would be you know, carrying the torch through the streets of Leicestershire, how big an impact did it have on you personally? Well, let's just rewind a little bit. Ambassador for Prostate Cancer is, is quite a grand title. I, I raised some money for them, let's put it that way. And I think I talked to a, Very talked to a couple of people and one got checked out and found out he needed to have something done. So that was, that was, that was good that I'd spoken to one, one of our mutual colleagues. Um, but um, you know what? When I first got the nomination, I didn't really understand what it meant. I thought, yeah, okay, that's okay. nice. I wasn't really fully aware of what it meant and how great an honour it was. And I really mean great an honour. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was overwhelmed. I just, okay. you know, I was just a bit, oh, okay, thank you. What does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and, and obviously then it began to increase in, how should I put this? It began to increase in, in awe as you got nearer the day and you started to realise that the whole of Leicestershire would be there to support you. Um, so give me a sense of what it felt like on the morning of the day. Um, well, yeah, the, the significance did increase as I got nearer the time. Yeah. And actually, as, as it, 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 um, on the morning, well, I was really tired because I couldn't sleep because, <laughs> because <laughs> Melton Mowbray is about 30 miles from where we live. And I was worried that there'd be a yes. problem getting there because of the road closure or the motorway <laughs> might be an accident. So I finally relaxed when we were about six miles from Melton Mowbray. And I realised that if if anything went wrong, I could run the west, rest of the way to Melton Mowbray um, to get wow. there. Because I think, and you'll be aware of this as well, I think we, we got in our packs that the torch waits for no one. Yes. So <laughs> until I until I was actually there at the torch rendezvous yeah. rendezvous point, I I I wasn't very relaxed at all. And then once I got there, oh, I can't really, I can't, I don't think there are words to describe it enough. Indeed, and and, and the actual moment, you know, never mind the morning, the actual five hundred meters, as you say. I mean, now is it a blur? Is it a the strongest memory of your life how how do you now how do you feel about those oh, fantastic and interestingly enough one of them um, uh one of my linkedin connections and somebody who i went to costa rica with he was a torchbearer as well and he put something on linkedin the other day and it just brought a great big smile to my face and he'd found that on youtube so i went looking to see if i was on youtube and there i was so i had a quick look at the videos just to recap so yeah it's a memorable experience, um, absolutely, absolutely wonderful experience. And I still don't think those words memorable and wonderful are strong enough words to describe it. But it's a fantastic day. Absolutely fantastic. I love it. And it's interesting. You were very, very modest in a couple of moments ago when acknowledging how you got the nomination. And do you know what? I've reflected on this, Mark, over the last De decade over the last decade you've absolutely more than endorsed that nomination for torchbearer because oh the, the amount of things you've done since has been has been awe-inspiring so let, let's chronicle those now ironically you've just 
mentioned Costa Rica. And I've always looked back at Costa Rica as probably your was it your is it your number one experience? Because the listeners know that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about China in a moment and uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. Would you say that Costa Rica beats them all, oh, Mark? Crikey. Um Oh, yeah, the, the, all, all the experiences Ooh. are wonderful, but Costa Rica by far is the best one, by far, because it's the first time they've taken on anything of that magnitude, anything of that magnitude. And by that magnitude, I mean um, the amount of money I had to raise, which I got tremendous support mm -hmm. from all my colleagues, including you, Matt, in that. So when I say all my colleagues specifically, I want to mention you as well. My family, oh, so the support to raise the amount of money needed to go was amazing. The The adventure itself, if I reflected on it afterwards, if I'd known afterwards what I'd needed to do when I was there, I probably wouldn't have gone on the trip. My goodness. Now, that is interesting. So tell everybody a little bit about what was expected of you to raise such a phenomenal amount of money. So t tell everybody well, about that, please. we needed to raise £4,000 to be able to go on the trip. Um, our, our employer at the time was paying for the trip, so every single penny we raised went to the Alzheimer's Society, of which I've been fundraising for since 2013. Um, and so to raise the money, £4,000 doesn't seem that much. You think, well, if I can get 400 people to sponsor me 10 quid, that's easy. But that is so... <laughs> yeah. That is not that easy. So I was doing things like sitting in my mm -hmm. local branch um, of Lloyd's Bank on an exercise bike, um, uh, collecting uh, cash and raising awareness of the Alzheimer's Society in local supermarkets. And, and my local supermarkets have given me some fantastic support over the years. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what else did I do? Um, collected funds, asked, asked people when we were running training courses if they got any spare change, if they wanted to donate it. Yeah. And so many people were so good at donating spare change. Nearly every course we ran, people were good. Um, and I had a particular colleague, Stuart Limbury. If he were able to listen to this, I'd really like to big shout out to Stuart. Stuart was fantastic. He, he, he was like a bit of a wheeler dealer and he would buy things cheap and sell them <laughs> at a profit and share the profits with me. And in some cases, donate all the profits, not, not to me, to the Alzheimer's Society on my behalf. So I yeah. had tremendous support, um, yeah. not least from my boss at the time, um, who was Tess Butcher, who got me, uh, who supported my nomination and um, supported my fundraising as well. So, yeah. So wh when I say I raised that money, it was a massive team effort, a massive team effort. Um, family, friends. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And, and that is so lovely of you to acknowledge the part that others played in your story. And then clearly you raised that money. You went off to Costa Rica. Tell everybody what you were asked to do in terms of the physical uh, challenge. So the physical challenge itself I trained for, the actual amount of cycling we've got to do. We've got to travel, we've got to cycle about 500 kilometres in five or six days, or it might have been seven days. Anyway, in a week, let's just say a week, yeah. 500 kilometres. But those 500 yeah. kilometres were across some, really challenging terrain um so for for example we, we wouldn't be allowed to do this here in the uk we crossed the river uh -huh. standing on uh by 
walking across a railway track. So from sleeper to sleeper with our bikes. Um, yeah, wow. we crossed some ditches by just flick it, flipping our bikes up onto the back wheel and um, wheeling them across what I call a plank. And who knew what was in these ditches? <laughs> who knew what was in them? Um, and if I'm correct, were the facilities over there, and I remember this from some of your Facebook posts, somewhat um, primitive? Yes, they were. There was one place we stayed at where... <laughs> Um, there was one shower between 40 of us, um, that's male and female. So one shower between males and females. Um, and the shower was not clean is probably an overstatement. Um, so what happened, okay. we, um, most of us got showered. Well, we got hosed down by the guides we were with out in the street. So they were hosing the bikes down. They hosed us down as well. Um, so that's just one example. There was another one where we had communal showers and we shared those with bats, which is a bit of a worry when you're told that you need a rabies jab before you go. But, um, yeah, they're, they're just two examples. But I wouldn't swap that experience. It was um, an amazing, magical experience. And that mainly was because of the group that went. What a great group. Really, really good group. Um, everybody okay. supported everybody else. There were particularly... Some people who've done a lot of mountain biking who were really, really good and helpful. Um, uh, yeah, so it was amazing. It was amazing. A bit like the torch, really. There's not enough words to describe it. <laughs> and that was, as you say, an experience mm -hmm. of a lifetime. And, and the experience is only then intensified, didn't it, over the next few years. And to me, as a friend and a, an ad admirer, looking on, it seemed that you were always thirsting for your next challenge. Would that be It would, Matt. And there's two reasons for that. One, <laughs> having had cancer, yeah. it sort of wakes you up to what's available yeah. out there in life and what, what, okay. what, needs, what, what, what I needed to do and enjoy life. Because cancer can come as a bit of a shock. But mm -hmm. two, I realised the potential of what, what, by me taking on something like that, what I could do for others by raising money for charity. Now, that sounds... Yeah odd what I could do for this by raising money but if people were willing and happy to sponsor me to do these things then how great that charities could benefit uh, one particular charity in this case outside society could benefit because of that that's absolutely fantastic and I just want to put on record here um every single trip okay. that I organized and went on and I don't know which ones we're going to talk about yet whichever ones you bring up I have funded myself so every single penny that I have raised has gone to the Alzheimer's Society on these trips. And again, it shows the uh, the reason why I picked the quote that I did. Um, the heart and how much you care about others. That's the bit that makes right. me really emotional. You know, spending spending time on Sunday mornings at supermarkets, just talking to people. Um, and I know that's been difficult for you during COVID because of the opportunities being limited. Um, and yet, all you've done over the last, you know, decade has been remarkable. Thanks. So, yeah. I was just going to say thank you. Oh, sorry, that, so. um, and let's talk about those other trips. And as you say, you don't know which ones I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about all the big ones. It's like um, you're a rock star. I'm talking about <laughs> talking about all your major concerts <laughs> here, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Vietnam to Cambodia, biking 
from one to the other. Tell us about that. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I mean, that, sound, that sounds quite grand, doesn't it? Biking from one to the other. But it involved a five-hour boat trip in between, between Vietnam and Cambodia. But that was, uh-huh. that was fantastic, that was. Absolutely fantastic. Culturally, it was amazing. Some of the things mm-hmm. that we saw in Vietnam... I went to the killing fields in Cambodia, which was oh, incredibly sad. Sad's probably not a strong enough word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I visited the killing fields. Um, but what an amazing experience. It, uh, to see poverty and affluence within 10 yards yeah. of each other. Um, and the contrast was unbelievable. I mean, a little hut tagged together out of reeds on the bank of a river, opposite a house. It would be worth millions over here on the other side of the river. Just absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, and again, a good band of people. Interestingly, that trip doesn't stay in my mind as much as Costa Rica because Costa Rica was just so phenomenal. I think Costa Rica challenged me physically and mentally yes. um, in so many ways. But Vietnam to Cambodia was great, was great. And there was only a year between those two. And if we then accelerate two years forward, if I'm correct, 2016, came China. Tell us more. That, there was also a trek of the Brecon Beacons. We mustn't forget the United Kingdom. Wales was fantastic. I trek the Brecon Beacons. But yeah, Absolutely. then came China, which actually wasn't my first choice. That came out because of a great disappointment. I booked, um, yes. I booked to go to um, ride from Yosemite National Park to San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge. And what a phenomenal experience that would have been. That would have been absolutely amazing. But sadly, not enough people wanted to go. So I had to very quickly find an alternative. And trekking the Great Wall of China seemed a damn good alternative. Um, and and, and just, to, just to quickly come in there and say, I recall vividly, we talked at length about it, your, as you, in your own words, say, disappointment about not going to San Francisco, and I just always remember, I'm not sure if I've told you this, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, the Great Wall of China can never be a substitute, surely? No, it can't be a substitute. Yeah, it was, it's it phenomenal. was phenomenal. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> um, so tell us about, you know, trekking along the Great Wall. What was some of the challenges that were facing you then in terms of, as you said? Well, the, well, the Great Wall, very interesting. We saw a lot of the... Um, the uh, oh, I can't think of the word words now. The places where public the, the, the tourist attraction part of it, the, which you know had um, KFC, McDonald's, and Pizza Hut around it. We did we did we did we did that bit because the the heavenly steps that 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 was pretty good. But we also because we were trekking it, we did bits out in the wilderness as well, where the wall itself was only a, a yard wide. So we were all in single file and there was quite steep drops on the side. So there was no messing, no messing about on there, you know, no sort of ambling along. We had to be really, really okay. careful. Um, I met some great people on that trip as well. I think the thing is with all these trips, I've, I've kept in touch. Social yeah. media gets a lot of bad press, but Facebook has been fantastic for keeping in touch with these yeah. people. I still see them uh, on Facebook, still keep in touch. The odd comment between each other. Um um, and one one of the people who went to China, he's written three books um, as well. So, yeah, he's brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Brilliant. So, um, 
so China China was different because I wasn't on a bike. I was walking, but it was good. It was very good. Yeah, something else I want to tell the listeners about you is you talk about people keeping in touch. No, nobody better at that than you, may I say, my friend. Um, you always, always keep in touch um, with everybody. And, you know, lots of people that I've spoken to anecdotally have said, you know, Mark's always give me a call or he always sends me a message periodically. So, uh, you know, thank you for what you do in terms of keeping everybody oh, connected you. in this world of us. I think it's just nice. It's just nice to keep in touch. It certainly is. And um, let's keep all of the listeners in touch with, with something else that I find um, deeply sort of fascinating about yourself. Um, is I'm going to ask you a question here. I think you'll What's more important to you, Mark? The thirst of the challenge or the joy of the result? Hmm. That's a, yeah, it's an interesting character, interesting question, isn't it? Because the result means it's done, it's finished, yeah. it's gone. So that means Perfect. what's next? Um, so it's, I think, having reflected it, does, does it have to be more important to me? I think it's got to be the thirst of the challenge because once it's done, it's done. So what's next suggests that I, I need that thirst mm -hmm. of that challenge okay. again. So there you go. That sounds that's an impressive answer. That sounds like the philosophy of one Sir Alex Ferguson, doesn't it? He said, I've got about ten seconds to enjoy winning something and then I'm planning well, for I don't the next mind one. Me <laughs> mentioned in the same breath as Sir Alex Ferguson, I can tell you. Well, there you go. Um come on this podcast yeah. and that's what happens. <laughs> um so let's talk about non travel let's talk about some of your work experiences so you've shown great adaptability over the years you've worked for lots of different yeah. financial services companies and i know that you've been clearly massively motivated by helping people and all of your charity work what i've also noticed over the last couple of years and i think 2019 was a bit of a turning point for you wasn't it that you were looking for something in your work life to truly take you to the next level of motivation and you can now share with the listening audience that you've gone back to university school at 16 with four o levels um i missed out on the university experience that all my three children have enjoyed and my wife enjoyed as well my wife um, got her degree at age 50 um so um yeah i i was coming to the age where i needed i was thinking about retirement been working in financial services for over 40 years retirement but I didn't want to just finish work and twiddle my thumbs I'd never got a degree I wanted to keep my mind active I wanted to challenge myself so I after a lot of perseverance because I got turned down twice enrolled uh -huh. on a degree at the University of Leicester and I'm internally grateful to them for what a fantastic experience it's been I'm now sorting out the dissertation proposal for my third and final year. And I cannot believe it's my third and final year next year. And then I've got to consider whether I want to do a master's or not. So, uh, yeah, well, no, yeah, we're only considering well, that. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see whether that comes off. I've got to get through. Oh, okay. I'm waiting for some marks for <laughs> this year still to come through. And I've then got to get through my third year and then see whether I want to carry on. If anyone... I was, I was just going to say, if anyone can master anything, it's used the pun, it's user. That's a terrible pun. That is a terrible pun. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, you know me. You know me with puns. Um, <laughs> so I even know that just minutes before recording this, you were still working at your uh, yeah, I was doing assignments, weren't you? <laughs> Give myself today off. Um, uh, because I could go and see my mum today because, of course, I've not been able to travel recently. So today was a day for going to see my mum. So I felt uh, stupidly a little bit guilty. I hadn't done anything. So I thought I'd just uh, start to do a bit of research on uh, my fourth and final essay for this term. Oh, no, it's not my fourth and final one. It will be my eighth and final one for this term. And... Everyone that's listening wishes you all the very best. And and that's kind of ties me nicely into optimism and the optimism that you had in terms of, you know, looking to the future and wanting to, as you say, get that experience of university. Um, you also yeah. mentioned, you said, said about seeing your mum there. Now, clearly COVID has presented a challenge to all of us in terms of yeah. seeing loved ones. Just tell everybody the challenge it's presented in terms of continuing your fundraising. How have you well, that, that's, got that's around been that? Very, very tricky because the, the fundraising that I do that I do at um, right. supermarkets, I haven't got around it because just not we're just not able to do it. Um, it's it's actually quite worrying for charities. If I forget my fundraising now, this is going to be an issue for charities because I would I would stand in the foyer of Asda, my local Asda, my local Morrison's, my local Sainsbury's. Yeah. and ask people to donate. Well, I wouldn't ask them. I'd, I'd just let them come to me and talk to me. And if they wanted to donate, they could. And people would pour their change into the bucket. So there's two things there. One, no, I can't do that for the Alzheimer's Society. Nobody can do that for their charity now because it's not safe from a COVID point of view. But two, the cash now, people don't carry cash as often as they used to. So those buckets won't get filled with cash. In the same way, you know, the people emptying out their purse or just chucking in the odd 50p they've got. So that's something that charities have got to be got to overcome in some way. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, overcoming okay. overcoming um, fundraising the other way. I did actually. Susp- I'm doing the Royal Parks Half Marathon, which should have taken place in October mm-hmm. last year. In October this year, it was suspended because of COVID for obvious reasons and I suspended my fundraising for a while because I didn't think it was right to ask for people for money when I didn't really know what was happening with the um, with the half marathon it's back on track I've had I've had two fantastically generous anonymous donations and oh, one I thought somebody had pressed the wrong button on but I'm sure I'm sure it was it was meant because it was such a fantastic so my fundraising is back on track for this year now I'm sending out the odd Facebook post every now and again and just hoping that people read it and there are a whole load of people listening to this so uh, they can, if they they can keep in touch with you can't they they can they just need to search for me on just giving if they if they would like to and if they would and they do I'm going to say thank you very much now and if you don't it doesn't matter you all have your own charities and your own priorities so um, just thank you for listening to this if you're listening to this Absolutely. Wonderfully said, Mark. Thank you. And it's interesting you mentioned the Royal Parks Half Marathon. So I know personally you've been a prolific runner over the last five or six years. And we've done lots of runs together, even running the Great North Run together. So tell everybody how important is running and 
triathlons that you've done a lot as well. Tell everybody how important running and triathlons are in your life. We've got another hour. Um, Not long after I'd had prostate cancer, I walked up um, uh, Snowdon. I moved jobs not long after that. Took voluntary redundancy, which is a big leap in the dark. Um, Went to work for the Coventry Building Society. What a fantastic employer they are. And my boss at the time, he just got me interested in running. Um, and so I did a couple of fun runs for the for the for the Coventry Building Society and raised raised a few hundred quid for the um, uh, uh, prostate cancer charity at the time. And Matt, you won't believe this. My first proper run was four miles, and I walked quite a lot of it. So there we go. Uh, so that shows how much it's changed. Anyway, then I went to Lloyd's Bank and. Um, uh, decided that I needed to do something, challenge myself again, and did, decided to do a triathlon. And um, so I did two or three of those to raise money for the prostate cancer charity. Then I met somebody called Mr. Matt Story, who got me into competitive running rather than triathlon, got me into competitive running. And since then, running has become very, very important. So you're to blame for that, really, Matt. And and I was rearranging my conservatory oh, okay. the other day. <laughs> And I found my first running trophy, which I got when I did a run with you. Where we, did we do it in um, Eastwood, around there, um, Nottinghamshire somewhere? It was Redford in Nottinghamshire. And I was looking at my time the other day at 47.02. So that was good. And there, there was you just in front of me by just it over was. a minute. So, um... well, that remains, well, that remains my personal best of 45.49. And... I always think, how on earth did I run that pace? Well, and it was I, just I, to stay I, ahead of you. <laughs> minutes oh two now, um, yeah. So that was a good race. I remember. I remember though the drive home. My legs were like concrete. Um, according to see my mum and dad on the way back, and um, uh, yeah. I, I don't think I, I could hardly get out the chair when I yeah. finished speaking to them. But yeah. So so you are responsible. So my, my <laughs> boss at the at the Coventry got me into running, but you are definitely responsible for getting me into competitive running. Um, well, it's true. Kind of you to say that. <laughs> and let's continue this optimism by talking about the future. So I record this with you as restrictions are starting to lift. So my question is, what's next in terms of the, other than the university work, in terms of the fundraising side of things and the, the personal challenges, if you like, you know, what's I next really for Marco Flynn? I know at the moment because... A bit, and I say I really don't know because I think it's because there's so much. So, for example, I've looked at cycling from yes. London to Paris, but that can't happen. And I don't know at the Whoa. moment. It just can't happen because of COVID. And who knows when that will be available. I've thought about doing Man's End to John O'Groats, but that's one hell of a challenge. And I'd need a lot of time to... to train for that and that can't happen at the moment because i've got to finish my degree i want to get a good mark in my degree and that will take me up until june of next year june 2022 and then if i want to if i want to do a master's okay then that's going to take up time as well that may be one year full time and two years um part time so i'm not sure what the physical challenges will be there's going to be something. It might not. It might not be as great as Costa Rica or London to Paris. It might be another half marathon, or it might be as I did in 2017, a series of a series of events. Because in 2017, I did um, a half marathon, a wolf run, 
and I trekked the Jurassic Coast. So I, I did a triathlon of events. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There will be something. But because of COVID, I really don't know. And, and, and the other thing is, it's I'm enjoying studying. I'm enjoying stretching my mind and learning so much at the moment awesome. that physical challenges may have to ramp down a bit to allow me to ramp my mind up a bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And it's interesting. I was going to say, is there a burning ambition that does a keep you awake at night? Awake at night. Yeah, I think I'm worrying about my next assignment. Mark keeps me awake at night at the moment. <laughs> so there's the ambition to to get good marks in my assignments. And 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 actually, Matt, keeping me awake okay. does. I do wake up. It's a bit like being at work. I do wake up sometimes at three, four o'clock in the morning, and something will come to mind, and I'll just click my fingers if you worry about that number, and I'll come downstairs and I'll make a note, and then I'll go back to bed. Hopefully, get back to sleep, and then when I come down in the morning to start working on my assignment, there's something to work with there. That's a really interesting answer, and I've always looked to you as, and this is a massive compliment, as having a, a restless mind, if you like. Uh, you know, you're always looking at what you can do in life. You're always looking for the next challenge, as, as I say, or something to stimulate, and honestly, that comes out really, really strongly. Um, what about then the most defining moment of your life so far? That's, that that is that is a tricky question to answer, but I'll, I'll I'll go with what comes first into my mind without giving me a lot of without giving it a lot of thought, and I think that's the fact that not only did I raise four thousand uh, pounds for Costa Rica and completed the trip, I raised nearly ten thousand yeah. um, pounds, and I think that's a defining moment because when I first looked down at it, thought I want to do this. I wasn't 100% sure that I could do yeah. it because I've talked earlier about how hard fundraising was and still is. It's very difficult. Um, but the fact that not only did I raise four thousand, raise my target £4,000, I two and a half times the target, £10,000, yeah. and finished the trip. That I think looking back on it, that made me realise that if you, want to do, if you want to do something, you can do. Um, and I think that is a really defining moment. It is most things are within our grasp if we want to do them badly enough. And I say most things because yeah. for some people, some things are physically not possible. And that could be for all sorts of reasons, illness, uh, family okay. commitments. But if we want to do something badly enough, for okay. most of us, we can just get up and do it. Um, there we go. Wow. Very, very inspiring. And let me ask you this question then. Can you actually think of a time for you where the impossible became possible? Oh, Matt, where the impossible became possible. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, where I walked across that railway bridge from sleeper yeah. to sleeper. Yeah. I think yeah. people listening won't be able to see the pictures, but if you imagine... It's about 100 metres across this bridge. There are no railings on the side yeah. of this bridge. It's literally a, a railway track. And the sleepers, if you split through sleepers, you're in the river below, which is about a 100 metre drop as well. So it wasn't, it, there was no hesitation. We've got to get across there. OK, let's go then. And that's not just me. That was everybody there. So I, that, yeah, that, if, 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 
if if somebody said you're going to walk across the railway bridge, I want to I'll tell you something else. Walk across the railway bridge with your bike over a river, which you could fall into. I'd have said, well, no, I don't believe you. Um, and just to make it even more, the first, once we'd got across the bridge, uh, of course, we met a train coming the other way, which is very interesting. Yeah. Yes. So our timing was perfect. As you do. Our timing was absolutely perfect. <laughs> These stories are so incredible to share. I just love talking about them with you. And um, and thank you so much. I'll tell you what, here's a question. What advice would you actually give to the teenage you, knowing what you know now? Um, I think it would yes. be what I tell my kids. Well, I'd say kids, they're adults now. They are, they ah. are adults. I mean, the youngest is 24. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have some great conversations with all of them. And the main theme is, to my teenage self, the only thing you should concern yourself with is being <laughs> happy. As long as you being happy doesn't make other people unhappy, that's really important. And a phrase I use a lot, do stuff, don't own stuff. Okay. Very, very good. Very thoughtful. Um, and actually, before we get into your PG tips, which we're going to have a little yeah. cup of tea break in a second to do that, let me ask you one more question, which I think is yeah. going to be interesting for you specifically. Because of your experiences, because I know how much you value those experiences and even being at your house, I've remembered your newspaper cuttings, etc. So if you only had, and this is quite good for you as an analogy, if you only had a backpack to store your most treasured possessions for the whole of your life, what would be in that backpack? Memories. Quite simple. Because it, it just matches. Do stuff. Don't own there you stuff. Go. Um, so memories. And I'd slip my Olympic torches mm -hmm. as well, which I've still got. So that, I'll let that one go. Um, that yeah. Yeah, well, that was there. what I was expecting. Memories, <laughs> memories of the walks I've done with my, my son, the walks I've done with yeah. my daughters, the holidays we've had, the experiences I've had, memories of, you know, yeah. I was talking to my mum today when we took my mum and dad on a holiday, the last holiday they went on together. My mum and dad, we took them away. That was a fantastic memory. So there, keep keep the memories. Keep the memories is a wonderful message. And thank you so much. Let's now take a tea break. Okay. And we'll see you in a couple of moments for your PG tips. Thank you very much. Thank you. And while we wait for Mark to come back, I'd like to encourage everybody to drink from the mug of positivity every day. And just reflect every morning as you wake up on what you have in life rather than what you haven't got. So think of something you're proud of. Think of something you're grateful for. And think of something you're thankful for. Every day, this massively adds to your positive mindset. Welcome back, Mark. So, your PG tips. So... That's something beginning with P, something beginning with G, and something beginning with T, which is something you're proud of, something you're grateful for, and something you're thankful for. So let's start with the P. What are you most proud of? got to be in the life? amount of money I've raised for charities, and different charities at that as well. 
not just the Alzheimer's Society, the Prostate Cancer Charity, Mind and Hospices, and other charities as well. I've done Marie Curie. So there's been, um, and Save the Children, Save the Children. I remember I did um, um, a 24-hour bike ride, which was absolutely shattering for Save the Children. So, yeah, that's, um, it's, it, I think I'm proud of that contribution to a charity. I wanted to ask you this. I have no idea. We've not talked about it. You didn't know I was going to ask you this. Have you got any idea what that figure is in terms of the, I can the amount for the whole of your life I that you've raised? It's probably, it's probably about £30,000 of various charities. Incredible, incredible figure. Um, what are you most grateful for? I suppose lucky. have the opportunity to do all these things. So I say that, you know... If people yeah. want to yeah. do things, they can do things. But I did put that caveat on that not everybody can just do them. There'll be things that stop them. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to have had the chance to go to Costa Rica, to have had the chance to go to Vietnam and Cambodia, to have the chance to go to Madagascar, do the Great Wall of China, to be fit enough after having had cancer yeah. to be uh, to, to run. So those yeah. kind of things. Wow. And obviously the torch as well. As well is the fact that my boss at the time, Jason Ballinger, he nominated me for the um, uh, to carry the Olympic torch. What I owe him such a lot for that. So uh, wow. if you're listening, Jason, thank you. And finally, what are you most thankful for? Support I get from Alison, that's my wife. My kids, James, Katie and Abby, my mum. Um my dad who's sadly no longer with us as well so the support but not just family close family yeah. but all my all the friends and colleagues over the years as well who've you know have, have, have given me the um impetus impetus to 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 go and do it and support while i've yeah. while i've been doing it people like you have egged me on cheered me on and sponsored me over the years so yeah i'm thankful for all that support and help in return we cannot be more proud of you and you've been absolutely sensational on this podcast ladies and gentlemen thank you very much marco flynn and that was the story of positivity see you on the next pod <laughs>